0: The
1: United States has announced
0: a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics over China's human rights record.
1: Opening ceremony just days away as Beijing is reporting some of its highest COVID cases in over a year and locking down some areas. New outbreaks as well
0: also being reported among the athletes, which could threaten some events. Well, tonight, the official start of these games comes in a very different world. It's with nearly 3,000 athletes all chasing lifelong dreams. Of it all.
1: This is Sarah Stewart Holland, and this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Today, we're going to tackle the politics of sports. Specifically, we're going to talk about the recent class action lawsuit alleging racism in the NFL. We're going to talk about the numerous controversies surrounding the current Winter Olympics in Beijing, as well as, like, the Olympics generally. Then we're going to take a hard turn outside politics at the end of the show and talk about Valentine's Day.
0: We wanted to take a quick moment to thank you again for the reviews on our first book. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. We're marching toward a goal of a thousand reviews. We are less than 30 away. We're less than 30 away. Thank you so Yow. much for helping us. If you have not gotten that quick review in yet, we would appreciate it so very much. Also, thank you to our premium members for your patience. We've had a little infrastructure situation over here at Fancy Politics. <laughs> we had to switch out our RSS feeds on Patreon. And if those letters make your eyes roll into the back of your heads, you are not alone. I learned a lot about what an RSS feed is in the course of this situation. The gist of it is if you listen using an outside podcast player to our premium shows, Good Morning and More to Say, and you have noticed some of those are missing. You just need to click the link in the show notes today to refresh that RSS feed. And again, this has been so aggravating. It has not been a great experience for anyone. Elise has spent a gazillion hours that she would like very much to have back in her life on it. And we know many of you have too. So thank you for being patient and getting through this. I hope that all of the good morning and more to say episodes that you're listening to are worth the hassle and we appreciate it. If you have any questions, just reach out to us.
1: I do want to say, going back really quick to the book reviews, here's how we know like the algorithm is working is <laughs> because some of those like third party sellers are now ripping off the title of our book. And now, if you search our book, the next thing that comes up is a long list of black t-shirts that say, "I think you're wrong, but I'm listening," which my husband, the attorney, tells me, I cannot pursue for copyright infringement, which makes me mad. But like, I guess that means the algorithm is working. We've gotten their attention because now they've ripped off the title of our book for t-shirts
0: worst problems to have in life. Than, than that for sure. Well, thank you all so much. And please, again, just if you could just give us like a sentence or two after you read the book, we we're so close. Really, we're grateful. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at Bluenile.com for $50 off. Bluenile.com code LISTEN.
1: We are special breakfast people here at Pansu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. Plus, free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both Beth, you did a more to say this week on the lawsuit from Brian Flores against the NFL. Give the people the the rundown. And if they want the total rundown, they can go to more to say.
0: I think the headline here is that Brian Flores, a 40-year-old, seemed to be 41. I learned he's just like a week or so older than I am, 40-year-old NFL coach who has been quite successful in his tenure in the league in a number of positions, has decided that he is willing to burn this house down in order to save it. Mm -hmm. He filed a complaint. I love that energy. I love it. He filed a complaint as a class action. So he envisions Black leadership in the NFL as well as Black people who have uh, been candidates for leadership positions in the NFL, suing the NFL. a smart
1: pool, sort of the... Or a small pool, sort of why that we have this lawsuit.
0: He envisions them suing the NFL and most of its teams for discrimination under federal and state laws. And what he says is that the NFL has a history, a long history dating back to the beginning of the NFL of discriminatory behavior against Black people, that the NFL has been greatly, greatly, greatly enriched by mm-hmm. the labor of Black people. He says that the NFL operates like a modern plantation. There is no mincing of words in this complaint. There is naming of names. There is giving of examples. There is quoting of words and text messages. There are yearbook style pictures to show you look at the lack of representation in leadership in the league. And uh, he says that the, the NFL's efforts to do better have all been hollow. Mm -hmm. And especially the NFL's uh, use of the Rooney rule, where a black candidate must be interviewed for a head coaching position and for some other leadership positions, that that is not working and that it has resulted in people like him, him personally and other people like him, being humiliated by what are just sham interviews. And so it's a very courageous stepping Mm -hmm. out and saying, I am willing to put up. I'm, I'm willing to go into federal court and prove these very specific allegations that I'm making.
1: What strikes me about this complaint and what is interesting to me about allegations of racism in the NFL is the NFL tries. I don't know if tries is the right verb. They put on a good show, right? They do things that acknowledge that over, what is it like, 50 to 60 percent of NFL players are black. I
0: think it's 70. The lawsuit says 70.
1: 70. Yeah. So 70 percent of the NFL players are black. They It's like they do the bare minimum, right? They kind of they put on a show. They occasionally try. They know they have a problem. And I think what is really important about this lawsuit says, like, everything is empty if the leadership does not. Reflect the diversity of the NFL. Everything else, every program, every commercial, every public service announcement, like whatever else you're doing is empty if the leadership does not reflect the diversity of the sport. And Brian Flores has all this evidence, but really it's a very simple and impactful. Point that he is trying to make. And it's hard to argue. You can't, like, whatever text messages he has, which I think are very impactful, whatever personal story, you don't, the numbers are right there in front of everybody's face. Every time there, you know, every time there's an NFL game, it's a field full of diverse players and one white coach after another.
0: I was very lucky to receive an advance copy of the book, Some of My Best Friends, Essays on Lip Service by Taja Eisen. And I started reading it last night. And I mean, she had me from sentence one. The writing is excellent and the analysis is very compelling. And I bring it up here because it reminded me so much of what you were saying, Sarah. She opens by talking about Toy Story, the first movie, and the end of Toy Story, where all the toys converge on Sid to tell him, stop treating us poorly, right? And Woody looks at him and says, so play nice. And she said that that is what 2020 felt like to her, that all these entities, not people, but entities, started saying, we're all going to do social justice now and you're going to like it. And that that always ends up being pretty hollow, even as it resulted in some necessary changes, um, that it is mostly an end into itself, that these entities speaking about how it's going to be now is the end for them. Mm. And I think I just thought of the NFL so clearly after reading Brian Flores' complaint and then hearing her put it that way, the entity can't seem to fix this but it can say it's going to fix it and then tell itself it's done. Yeah. No, I think that's right. You shared an article from Foreign Affairs
1: called The Revolution Will Not Be Privatized. And look, it's relevant to this conversation about the NFL. It's relevant to the conversation about Spotify and Joe Rogan. It's relevant to a lot of these conversations where it feels like we're asking corporate entities, um, because I refuse to use the corporate person's, Uh, legal analysis, because I think it's crap for what it's worth. I don't think corporations are people. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. But maybe that's part of the reason we have such messed up ideas, that they are and they can fix things. I love this quote. It says, fixing some of the world's most vexing problems will require that businesses dramatically alter their own practices. And it makes little sense to entrust systemic reform to the very institutions that themselves require change. The job of creating a more just and sustainable world cannot be outsourced to the private sector. I think that is so good and so true. And I think Brian Flores with this lawsuit is showing like it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There has to be an outside force requiring the change. It's not going to work for, you know, Exxon is not going to save us from climate change. Twitter is not going to save our democracy. Spotify is not going to fix issues of free speech. The NFL is not going to, on their own, address the systemic racism within our society or even within their own institutions. Like, it requires more than that. And it just, you know, some of this is we feel the pressure to exert influence as consumers because our system and our world tells us that that's our most powerful role. But it's not. It's not our most powerful role. It is a powerful one, no doubt about it. But our role as citizens inside a democracy that can require more from people than just
0: try hard so it looks good is really what we need. To that point about consumers, I think so many of us feel a sense of conflict about football because of how damaging it is to players' bodies, because of these practices by the NFL. I know I feel a conflict about football. I don't really enjoy football that much. I'm very excited that the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl because I love the community spirit around it. And then I think, should I love that community spirit when it's associated with something that I know to be dangerous? What speaks to me so much in this complaint is that it is coming from a person who loves football. Mm -hmm. Brian Flores loves football. He wants to coach it. He was a very successful player. The Washington Post has a great op ed about him that we'll link here that tells the story of him as a sophomore in a very high pressure situation, saying to the coaches, Give me the ball, I'll get the first down, and then doing it. And that he's always been decisive and passionate and excellent at everything he's done around football. So, what I really value here is that this call for reform within the NFL is coming from a person who is deeply embedded in enjoying the sport. I think that helps resolve some of the tension for us as consumers. It is okay to love football. While you say a lot of what's going on with football is unsustainable and must be fixed. I think some of that like consumer as activist energy tells us don't love the thing anymore. And this complaint to me says, no, it's fine to love the thing. And also to say that the thing has to change.
1: Yeah, that's where, you know, look, I don't love football. I don't watch football. It's not only that I'm neutral on it, I don't like it. I think it is barbaric and damaging. But my husband loves it very much. And we were talking about this yesterday. He has loved football for a very, very long time. But he said, he told me the word out of his mouth, a direct quote was, I love football, and I also probably think it should be illegal. <laughs> like he has come to Jesus with, I love this sport, but is the cost worth the benefit? I don't think that's, it's definitely, it's an easy calculus for me because I don't care about football. And if it went away, it wouldn't bother me. But I know that I'm not, that's a radical position as we talk about on Pansy Politics. It's important to name where you're out of step with the majority. And I understand that this is one of those places. And I hope that Brian Flores' suit brings attention to this in a way that, you know, brings attention to the strategy that says, like, depending on football to fix itself is not going to work. I'm worried about the increased sports betting for what it's at for what it's worth and how so much of this business model is now going to be dependent on gambling which can be a really problematic model.
0: And, and all of the really... social gambling models for kids. Yes. I'm concerned and about yeah. that.
1: Yeah, it's like that's that I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about CTE and like in the same way you can you can love it and want it to improve and change. You can also not love it and bring that energy in an important way too. like, you know, I think that that's important to be the person that says, Outside of it, like, I don't love it. Let me show you what I see. Because maybe your love (laughs) is clouding your vision a little bit. Or maybe it's not just love. I mean, I think that's the other thing. It becomes, especially with professional football, the narrative about the love of the game gets mixed up with something that is, without a doubt, an industry. It's an industry. There's a lot of money on the line. And so, and I feel like sometimes, you know, the money gets hidden behind this narrative about a love of the game in a really exploitive manner. And I just think that that's something we have to keep an eye on as well. And we're going to move from one fraught sports topic to another now. Next up, we're going to talk about the Olympics.
0: If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive & June has you covered. We've talked about Olive & June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need, for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. Now, they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray.
1: Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. .com/pansy The 2022 Winter Olympics are officially underway in Beijing, Beth. Maybe you've heard much like the Summer Olympics that happened 5 hot seconds ago. In Japan, there are concerns about COVID and what it means to host a global sporting event during a pandemic. On top of that, the Olympics are in Beijing, as we just mentioned, and there are a whole host of concerns about China as the host and their human rights records. The US is currently engaged in a diplomatic boycott of the Games, meaning our athletes are coming, but none of our government officials are coming. Lots of people aren't watching, the ratings are way down, and that has left us wondering about the politics and maybe more precisely, the ethics of the Olympics.
0: Well, I've also done more to say about this, Uh, digging into the IOC and the issues, particularly with China hosting the games. There are two distinctions that are important to me to make at the beginning of this conversation, because the Olympics doesn't mean one thing, right? Mm -hmm. And when I criticize the Olympics right now, I am really thinking about the IOC. Yeah. That we have this international nonprofit that calls itself like the supreme authority of the Olympics, that is accountable to exactly no one, and that is conflicted six ways to Sunday, politically and in terms of money. All of the types of capital that cause people to behave at their worst are tied up in the IOC. So I want to distinguish the Olympics from the organization that runs the Olympics. And I want to distinguish China from the Chinese Communist Party, because we We bring those things together. China doesn't mean one thing. So many people live there. The land itself is diverse and interesting and magnificent in its ways. I want to make sure that we're talking about what we're actually talking about and not shorthanding in a way that is really dismissive of a lot of good that comes both in the country of China and around the Olympic Games. Of course,
1: when we're talking about the issues surrounding China hosting the Games, this is not new. There have been political controversies almost as long as there have been Olympics. In 1936, the Olympics were held in Berlin, and the Nazis were rising to power. There were boycotts in 1956 from the Netherlands, Spain, and Switzerland over the Soviets' invasion of Hungary. I learned about this moment in that particular Olympics when a Russian swimmer punched a Hungarian swimmer in the face. They called it blood in the water. Uh, The 1968 Games in Mexico City were preceded by a massacre of student protesters. I mean, the list is long. So this is not new, having concerns about the host countries and where the Olympics are taking place. Now, we asked a lot of y'all on Instagram, and there were a lot of people who said, okay, I'm not watching. I'm not watching specifically because of China and their stance on human rights. I mean, it was interesting to me. Axios posted a poll where it was like, Actual, an actual place of bipartisan agreement, it was like 58 percent of Democrats and 56 percent of Republicans said, I'm not watching, I have concerns about the the human rights abuses in China. And, like, that matters. This is a little something I learned about the IOC. Seventy-five percent of their budget comes from the broadcasting rights. NBC paid $7.75 billion for the exclusive broadcast rights to the Olympics through 2032. And so the
0: not watching matters. So I totally respect all of our listeners who said they're not watching because they have human rights concerns, and I believe them that that's their reasons. I'm more skeptical about the polling because the way a question is asked in a poll leads to a certain answer. I think a lot of the viewership is down because we just had the Summer Olympics so recently. I think it's also that it is a bummer to watch when there's not a crowd. It's really different experience when there's not a crowd there, and it is a constant reminder of the pandemic and the United States of America is tired of the pandemic, you know, and I think that there I think there are a lot of reasons that viewership is down that have little to do with human rights and global politics. At the same time, I'm watching. <laughs> I have numerous concerns about China hosting this. I think it's garbage that China is hosting these Olympics. I think it's garbage to host the winter Olympics in a place that has to manufacture snow. The vast majority of the snow. I think that's terrible. I think it is terrible to do it in a place that is in so many ways telling the rest of the world, no, we're coming for you. That's our intention. Yeah. I think it's terrible to ask our athletes to go to a country that they have to take a burner phone to. At the same time, I am trying to, like, check all of my foreign policy instincts, and the main one that I am working on checking Is the instinct to separate when there is conflict? Because our whole body of work is premised on the idea that separating does not resolve conflict. And I'm struggling with how you apply that to foreign policy because a lot of our foreign policy tools that don't involve the military are about separation. We're going to separate from you economically, you're not going to be invited to certain groups and certain meetings. If I take your frequent question, Sarah, of how's that working for us, I have to admit that it's not. And so the Olympic Games, to me seem to be a place where I could say, "Well, isn't there more possibility in continuing to come together uh, than there is possibility from separating and so we're 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 watching with a lot of appreciation for the moments when you see athletes from other countries talking with each other, you know, and the the moments when we learn something about another place and the moments when you, I, I'm not wrapped up in heroism and excellence and like, that's not for me. Good, good for people who, who appreciate athletic brilliance and who think of this as the best of the world, whatever. I don't, I don't need to do that just to, to enjoy the games, but I do see it as a chance to just think more about myself as a global citizen. And I think that has some value.
1: So I think you're right. I think the reasons people aren't watching are complicated. I think some of the reasons the viewership are down, and they might not be conscious or articulated, is the truth is the controversy surrounding the Olympics in more recent years really aren't about the host countries. They are about the athletes. They are about doping scandals. They are about sexual abuse scandals. We had Simone Biles standing up and saying, it's too much. It's just too much. Not to mention, you know, we know that becoming an Olympic athlete is built on a foundation of enormous privilege, especially in a place like America, enormous privilege and access. And I'm not, you know, necessarily mad at any of those things, but I think at the end of the the day, they undercut the simple narrative people came to the Olympics for. You know the the listeners in our Instagram who cited like I still watch it. Um, they talked about like that common humanity, but they also talked about that like the drama of victory and defeat, and the in the excellence and the overcoming of diversity. And I think that's a lot of what NBC was paying for. That's why they do those three zillion packages. Um, to, you know, talking about where they came from and everything like that. And I I just think at the end of the day, we we like know too much. And we can't get back to that simple narrative, and that's a lot of the reason people aren't watching. And if I'm being honest, that's why I never watched, because it never made sense to me. The idea that they're amateur athletes didn't make sense to me. How they amateur athletes? I'm watching them on TV. I'm watching them on cereal boxes. I'm like seeing how this affects their lives. You're not an amateur
0: if you've been practicing since you were four. Right? I was like, I don't
1: understand what this. What does this even mean? And so it never made sense to me. It's not that I don't think that there is, is there is a positive aspect and that people don't need to be inspired. I'm not a cynic, but I think the narrative, the Olympics depended on to invoke that emotional response has been permanently damaged. Um, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay to have complicated human stories and to look at our systems and be like is this doing what we want it to do i don't know anymore and it's like even the global citizens part like i think is great but i feel much more inspired as a global citizen watching the way the you know global scientific community came together for vaccines you know like we live in the age of the internet it's not like we're separated from each other it's not like i can't you know see and read and and engage with the global community even like now travel has been limited obviously but you know The world is different, and the way we react and interact with the world is different than 1936 or even 1976. So to me, I think that's valuable to have. I just don't know if the Olympics is sort of the best way to deliver it. I
0: don't think there is a best way to deliver it. I don't think there is a thing that gets created. I mean, a lot of what you just said I totally agree with. It applies to everything where somebody gets famous. Being famous is bad for us. It is. Like, it is really hard to be a, a famous person, politician, musician, actor, model, athlete, designer, you name it. It is very hard to be famous and maintain a life that is healthy and free from being, um, in so many ways, worked over by the worst forces of humanity. It happens to people. And, and then to have everybody go but God, you're so lucky and so admired and that's what everybody actually wants so it can't be a real problem. And this is what I am most worried about in this conversation because I feel in myself and even more from our audience and just people in my life, this sense of like, can we just not have anything anymore? Is everything so bad? Is everything so problematic? Can I not read this book because of what the author said? Can I not watch this TV show because of the portrayal of this character? Can I not enjoy the Olympics because of these issues, which are numerous? They're so numerous. They're terrible, right? But like there are also numerous, terrible issues with all of Hollywood. There are, I mean, you you love the Oscars, right? Their depth of issues surrounding Hollywood are enormous as well. And if I experience myself as a global citizen through the internet or any number of other things, I'm self-selecting into those interest categories. What's beneficial to me about the Olympics is that these are things that I have no interest in. I'm not a huge sports person. I am not an athlete at all. Uh, and still, I find it really amazing to sit down and watch people ski once every four years. I just think it's really amazing. I'm not going to follow it the rest of the time. I don't know these athletes at all when they're introduced to me in this way. It takes me out of myself a little bit. All good entertainment takes us out of ourselves a little bit. And I don't think people can take us out of ourselves a little bit without there being layers of problematic things behind them because they're just people too. And so how do we say, I, I just want to see that Brian Flores version of the Olympics. And it's happening in a huge variety of ways where we say, this is deeply, deeply problematic. There are deeply wrong things going on here and still we can love it. And we can work toward a vision of it being better because that's what we're gonna have to do in our workplaces, in our lives, with absolutely everything. That being a person in 2022, with all the generational stuff we bring into this time and all the information available is to say, how do I continue to find joy and goodness as I am aware of everything that's broken? I really tried to interrogate my feelings about this
1: because they are strong. I had a lot of conversations with my husband, who is a sports person. Because for me, a lot of this is about sports. And he was like, it's just entertainment. And I thought, yes, yeah, it's just entertainment. And there was a really great editorial in the new york times by a moral philosopher named sasha mudd about like can you is it ethical to watch the olympics And i love questions like that and she talks about specifically tolerance complicity this is a quote one way to do this is by watching the fruits as entertainment we tolerate normalize or even celebrate wrongdoing through taking pleasure in its results we all know i i think a lot about tolerance complicity i didn't have the words for it but i appreciate that this is what i think about literally weekly when I think about Whitney Houston and how sad I am that she is dead or Amy Winehouse and how sad I am that she is dead or the effects of Michael Jackson's career or like I think I think about this a lot because I am a person who you know loves that side of entertainment. I love movies and television and books and I think that this tolerance complicity is a very important and interesting question. And I think what I was finally able to name when it comes to sports And for what it's worth, Sasha Mudd comes down on the side of like, it's fine. She says we we really need collective action, not individual ethical decisions to change something like that. And she says, just because we have individual complicity, it might be wrong, but not morally criticizable. Now, I will say I'm an Enneagram one. So separating wrong from morally criticizable is like a very difficult task for me. But I acknowledge that it could be done. Not maybe not by me, maybe not today, but I, I acknowledge that as a thing people could do. And I think what bothers me about sports and i think the olympics is the like deepest manifestation of this is that there's this undercurrent of like yeah it's you're watching it for entertainment but what we're doing is a little more important it's this like mastering your physical body which is just it's actually like morally preferable you're not just painting a picture you're doing something actually important and morally good that's what bugs me about it, because I don't care if you do it and I can get why you would and why you would enjoy it. But don't don't wrap it up in this moralizing and say that it it's preferable to painting a picture or writing a book. It always feels like sports is trying to give answers, whereas like books and movies and TV in a lot of ways are asking questions. And so I think that's why I consume all the sports documentaries, because they push back on that. That's always my experience of like those documents, like they're saying, yeah, but the answers are not really what we think they are or the questions are much harder or the story we told about this person was actually not true at all from the beginning. I think that that undercurrent of moralizing is why there's such enormous pressure on these athletes. And I think just that's what's always bugged me. And... This, like the Olympics, that it's not just entertainment, it's like it's good for us. It's good for us as humanity. That's what bugs me. That's what's always sat wrong with me. And I think you get that undercurrent in lots of sports. And I just, I would just like to name that and say, I think it's crap. I don't think that's true. And I think the sooner we could recognize it and move on from it. The less power for exploitation, especially over the athletes, especially in these industries, especially inside these systems, it would have.
0: I don't feel that at all on the moralizing front. I feel it on the financial front. Mm. Because I think, you know, if I listen to an interview with an actor or director, I feel the same about the moralizing. People who are really great at their crafts think their crafts are the most important thing in the world. Otherwise, why would they devote their lives to it? True, You know. I was a band person. We were obnoxious. We were. Like, we were obnoxious (laughs) about how good and important band was. And it was good and important to us, and it doesn't have to be to everybody. Where I think sports have an outsized value placed on them is financially. It is that the football team got more money than the band program always and forever, Mm -hmm. amen. It is that professional athletes make so much more money than professionals in other lines of work. And that that happens at all levels, not just the elite levels. So so I share that critique, and I think way too much gets put on all of these people. There's huge controversy about Eileen Gu right now, who is an American who's skiing for China. And the conflict that anybody feels about that is way too much for a teenager to carry. I would love for us to be able to step back and say, what a beautiful thing that this young woman feels connected to two countries. We need to get better at that. That's going to be more and more of the world of the future. And we need to get better at that. And, and America should be able to cheer for her alongside China because she she feels that she belongs to both countries and, and we should take her word for that and feel it too. That's my position on Eileen Gu. And that everything else is adults asking a very young person to carry the weight of the world in an unfair way. So it's not that I disagree with any of your critiques. I just come down on the side of asking whether every single household in America ought to be tied up in knots right now about watching the Olympics. I kind of feel that our administration is responsible for our foreign policy and our administration made a call on this to do the diplomatic boycott I just am going to follow along with that. It might not be the decision I would have made. I could very well see a version of myself working in the White House that said, no, we're not sending anybody to these games. Like, I could see myself taking a much harder line on this, but I'm not the decision maker. And as a citizen, I just don't think it is my responsibility to make that call. I think it is my responsibility to talk with my kids about the problems with the games and what we're seeing and the good parts of the games and to... Continue to ask these questions. I'm not trying to opt out of what's hard here. I think we can not opt out of what's hard and simultaneously release some of the pressure on ourselves as individuals to decide what is right and wrong for everybody about this.
1: I think I would just say to your point about the corporate. Like we use money to show what we value. And while I, I do agree, people, you know, whatever their art form is, they think it's the best, most important one. Totally true. But there is something different to me between movies, TV, music. Not that those industries aren't problematic. Of course they are. I told you. I would think, y'all, I seriously think about Whitney Houston once a week. And I'm like tied up in knots about it still to this day and probably be, will, will be to the day I die. But there's something different. And like the the comment in our Instagram feed that stopped me in my tracks was the person who said, We watch the Paralympics now. That's where we channel our energy. And I thought, you know, I'm the mother of a disabled son. And I thought, like, that's it. Like, that's it. If you wanna, if you want to put on a pedestal something involving the human body, man, you gotta be so careful. You gotta be we are, because that is. That's just so at the core of like this mind-body connection relationship, how we talk about it, how we think about it, how our systems are built around it. The fact that sports is so valued and, and so like in it, like we're just in it with our bodies. And I feel like sports has become this like really toxic manifestation of how badly that can go wrong. and. I just want I guess I just want to name that and I feel like that's why the Olympics that's why I have such a really really intense reaction to it because it just feels like this manifestation of thing that's just bad for all of us this idea of like achievement it's not that I don't I don't think we should celebrate achievement but when it surrounds our our physical bodies And it's put as, like, there's this undercurrent of, like, well, anybody could do it. That's just what makes my skin crawl because everybody can't do it. Everybody can't do it. And so when you put it up and you say this is
0: what we value, you're leaving so many people out. Yes, and I think my big point of departure from you in this conversation is that I do not believe that's unique to sports. I walk around the world in a plus-size body. And fashion is just now starting to recognize that, like, we exist and should be entitled to buy nice clothes, too. There are so many ways in which we put bodies and abilities, like, like, put even bodies aside, but, like, abilities on a pedestal that are not accessible to everyone. It is completely true that we might not be seeing the best athletes in the world. We are seeing the families that had the resources to get these athletes to this level. And that also prioritized it. There might be very wealthy people whose kids could have been the best in the world at the sport, but they prioritize something else. Like, life is about choices. And so I think it's good for us to pull back on that story and see the rest of it as best we can through our flawed eyes. I worry when we do that so critically around one thing and set it aside as unique. And I I think that's just where I feel differently about this than you. And that's, it's funny that I'm like being the pro sports person in this conversation, because again, not an athlete and don't particularly love any of it, but I appreciate it. And one of the projects of my life is just realizing that like other people are not like me. Others feel differently. Others enjoy different things. Others prioritize different things. Others have different values. And I don't have to be definitive. That my perspective is the controlling perspective on something. And that is like what is winding me up about all the Olympic commentary this year that urge to say, well, the games are problematic. They're being held in a country that we've decided is bad. And so we have to opt out if we're being a good person. And that is coming from some of the same groups in our country who are constantly saying, like, don't associate. COVID 19 with China because that promotes hate, right? Like, I just, I, and that's correct. Like, I don't want to associate China with a disease and I don't want to associate China only with human rights abuses. And I don't want to associate the Olympics only with all of the scandals because there is more here. And I just, I want to be able to be present with the more here around the Olympics because I think it's a good laboratory for being present and working toward better with the more here in absolutely every aspect of our lives. Yeah,
1: I mean, and the irony for me is, like, I am calling myself an athlete for the first time in my life. Like, I am doing things with the Peloton that I never thought I'd do. I'm proud of them. I get it. And it's like, if ever there was a moment where I think I, sh- I would maybe lean in, it would be this one. But I I just can't because, to me, it's not the criticism of the Olympics that feels like I'm being pushed in a direction it always feels like the Olympics itself that's trying to push me to one perspective which is like this is good this is good and I I just can't I I just can't I cannot I don't think it's good I don't think it's even close to good I think if it wasn't for even maybe Simone Biles and like the new movement even though I think the impact of that is good. But I don't think we're getting all that goodness because of the Olympics. I think we're getting all that goodness for a lot of different reasons, including the pandemic, including the stress people have been under, and including all the the sexual abuse scandals and the controversies and just this moment where it's like we're no different. We're just humans. This is hard. We're struggling. And so that just feels in direct opposition to the story we tell about the Olympics, which is like it's a little bit more, right? It's a little bit better. It's a little bit, it's this goodness that we're aspiring to. And it just feels like, haven't we decided that it's not? Haven't we all decided it's way, way more complicated? I'm not mad at the complications. I just don't know if they can exist inside this institution that was built and is really like on a foundation of a completely different narrative. I think that's where I'm settling with the Olympics. I just They're just too diametrically opposed to me. So I think that's where I'm settling. What about you?
0: I think I'm settling about the IOC in these particular Olympic games uh, where I settle around the NFL. I am celebrating the Brian Floreses of the Olympics. The people who are saying, I love this and these things are wrong with it and we need to fix them. And I think I can continue to be a viewer and someone who appreciates the games in general and still be rooting for the people who are speaking out about all that's wrong. I'm fully in my
1: enneagram oneness around both the NFL and the Olympics. There might be people that can say it's wrong but not morally criticizable. <laughs> I am not there yet. I am not there yet. And so for me I realize that this is a an extreme radical position but as we've articulated There's room for that inside the conversation. And so, you know, my radical position is that it can't be saved. Like, it can't be fixed. It needs to be rebuilt on something completely different. And I do think that there are people who love it and who are capable of that. And I hope that's what we see eventually. Up next, we're going to head way outside politics, way outside sports, and talk about Valentine's Day. Where are you on Valentine's Day? Where do you stand on Valentine's Day? Well, it's funny. Is it cause... morally
0: criticizable? Is it ethically wrong? <laughs> you were saying way outside of politics, and I thought, I don't know, because one of the things thats that's been on my mind, knowing that we were going to talk about this, is that I don't particularly love Valentine's Day, but I don't want to ruin it for people who do. I don't want a teddy bear, but some people might from the person that is, they're in a relationship with. I think this is a pretty commercial situation. It is certainly not the day on which I most celebrate my partnership with Chad, but I'm not here to, like, poo-poo it for anyone else. I enjoy Valentine's Day most through parenting. Um, so what, do you do Valentine's Day with your kids? hmm What do you all do? I mean, we just m- get Valentine's for school. I don't know if we
1: necessarily do something together. I, should, I said mm-hmm, but I'm not sure. really sure that's the answer.
0: Well, we have a special Valentine's breakfast every year and I try to make the table look really fun and I make something like pink pancakes or I get donuts that are chocolate and strawberry and we have strawberry milk that morning and I usually have flowers and we do little gifts for the girls. And I think that is just a super fun, easy, low pressure way to have a special morning in the house. And I love doing that.
1: I mean, I, I really want to respond to what you said, but you lost me at strawberry milk because I find strawberry milk to be an abomination. But. I don't
0: drink it, but the kids love it.
1: I know. Why do they drink it? Why? Why do they drink strawberry milk? Can Why like does this?
0: No, <laughs> That's the theme. not That's strawberry the theme milk. Today. Not strawberry milk. You guys. You don't guys. need to to channel that Instagram on one energy is... to strawberry milk. <laughs> no,
1: I will die on the hill of strawberry milk way before the Olympics or even football. I find it so. <laughs> Reprehensible. Okay, sorry. I won't go off on strawberry milk too badly. That I already have. Okay, I like Valentine's Day. Listen, you guys, what else is going to prop us up in February? This is my this is my actual question. What else do you want to happen in February? February is a short but thank God, but it is a tough one. Okay, we're like we're in the dregs of winter. I like winter, but we are in the dregs, y'all. We need Valentine's Day. And what I think is fun is, like, let's just let's, let's open it up. Let's just have some fun with it. What a gift Valentine's Day has been to the mm-hmm. universe. I went out with my girlfriends for Valentine's Day. We had a blast. And I've always just—Nicholas and I have always had a lot of fun with Valentine's Day. Like, it's not, like, a very serious romantic holiday because my husband is not a serious romantic person. In college one year, we had the competition of who could give the tackiest presents, y'all. Okay. I won, obviously. He got me, like, a bunch of, like, tacky sex things. (laughs) You know, like, they're, like, some truly ridiculous, like, sex toys and stuff like that. But I got us matching airbrush T-shirts. And when I went, mine said Nicholas's girlfriend and his said Sarah's boyfriend. I still have it. I'll need to post it. I'll put it in our stories. And when I went to get it made, I said... Throwback to our conversation about how everybody takes their art form seriously. I said, I need you to make it as tacky as possible. And the man responded, I mean, it's my art. I can't make it ugly.
0: I said, I Oh,
1: I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> I am sorry. Because airbrushing is pretty cool and I can't do it. And I feel bad about disrespecting his art form. Still feel bad about it multiple years later. I still won the contest, though. So I do. I like the I like I just think it's fun. Like, I don't I don't. I think the seriousness of Valentine's Day is silly, but like it's a silly holiday. So just have fun because mm-hmm. it's February and we need we need, we need fun. some we need Pox Poxitani Phil who is still alive. People out there spreading that rumor. It was a different groundhog. Nobody pays attention to. OK, so like but in blessings, may that groundhog in New Jersey rest in peace. But like we need the, we need whatever we can whatever fun we can pull out of February, you guys
0: and i'll take it in the smallest forms. So i mentioned that i have started doing jazzercise which many of you are very excited about because that i have found that the jazzercise awesome. people love jazzercise. Thumbs up jazzercise,
1: thumbs down strawberry milk. It is it, it is
0: really fun. My friend who i do it with though has started calling me her gal. <laughs> and that makes me it brings me so much joy. Like yeah. any little piece of joy like that i am just holding on to in february like a little diamond. And so yes, i totally agree. Make it fun. Mary Van Geffen, who's a parenting coach that I'm starting to work with and has a wonderful Instagram present, suggested putting like little hearts or I'm probably going to do post-it notes on your kid's door in the morning just to say like very specific things that you love about them. I think that's a great idea.
1: We did that one year. We like the month or not. the Sorry. We did that one year, the two weeks before Valentine's Day. We each had like our own little Valentine's box and we would just put notes in there and then we read them. Is so fun. And they wrote some really sweet things about their brother. Oh, this that's nice. So joy to my heart. You know, look, I, I, you know, I, I describe myself as a person who, like, isn't into play, like, isn't a playful person. Maybe it's because I've adopted this narrative because I don't like sports. But, like, that's not really true. It's just around different things. Like, I don't sit down and play Legos with my kids, but I'm very playful. I've been talking a lot about my national day calendar. I love a fun holiday. I love a themed meal. I love, like, a dress-up or a decoration. And that's all play, too. I Mm -hmm. love all that stuff.
0: I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for the places that we can be really playful with the kids. I dance with my girls all the time. I sing to them constantly. I have adopted this practice of anytime I feel myself starting to complain, I make myself sing my complaint. Like a recitative in an opera. Like I just go, I just do a little string and the girls think it is hilarious. And we have this really good conversation about why I do it, actually, that I try to remind myself that I really don't have anything to complain about in life. So I still need to get it out of my body. This is a positive form to do that. But giving ourselves more credit that there are like lots of ways to be playful other than 10,000 tea parties you know i think is important maybe that's our valentine's love to ourselves just recognizing like there are lots of different ways to have fun with the kids
1: i'm fun
0: i'm a fun person i love the credit
1: speaking of credit we have a new executive producer katherine Vollmer, who also had a birthday this week also speaking of celebrations all the things here happy birthday Catherine! and thank you so much for joining our executive producer team
0: We also got a wonderful message that we wanted to share from Norma Starry. She shared this in the Pantsuit Politics Gathering Place on Facebook, and she was talking about our conversation about alcohol and reminding us that it's not just mommy wine culture where alcohol Mm -hmm. plays a very significant social role. She talked about gay bars as touchstones of the LGBTQ community for so long. And she said for many people, these are the only places you can hold the hand of your partner, kiss them, dance with them, and be with so many other people like you, safe inside those four walls. They are I so important. And she said, you know, just remember Pulse Nightclub and that sometimes danger still comes to those places that feel really safe and and good. And I really appreciated that addition to the conversation. We appreciate all your messages.
1: We read them all. We appreciate when you say no need to respond because we do read them all. And we appreciate all of you and the way that you contribute to this community. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Paint Soup Politics. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.
0: Barry Kaufman. Molly Coors. The Creeps. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Hudson's.
1: Tawny Peterson. Tracy
0: Putoff. Sarah Ralph.
1: Jeremy Sequoia.
0: Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uvaline. Nick and Elisa Valeli. Katherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.